We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you. Welcome to the Making Queer History podcast, where we connect our queer history to our queer present. I am Laura. And I'm Will. And today we're going to be talking about... Jörg Faludi. Alright, so we're going to usually... We're going to try and lean on his last name, because this is a Hungarian name with an alphabet that I... Is not the English alphabet. But Will, I think, has a strong grasp on the pronunciation of the first name. I don't, but I spent like five minutes researching it. Okay, so so like we put in our effort. If you're Hungarian, please call us out and tell us like how to actually pronounce it if we pronounce it wrong. Um, If you anglicize it, it's George. So, you know. Let's not anglicize it though. Like That's that's, uh, an interesting stand, but yeah. Jorg. Mm-hmm. So that's who we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into that, we're going to be going over the news of the past couple months. If you're our patron, you'll be hearing us in the middle of COVID-19. Ooh, that's an event happening. It is. It's super fun. We're not really involved in it as, as making for history because like it's not really relevant. <laughs> <laughs> to a, like I work from home anyways like Will's stuck at home now because you know uh they got a little bit of a cold yeah, so we I, had, to I be had some symptoms and I was told to stay at home and I'm like I don't know if this is a cold or if I'm gonna die but <laughs> turns I'm, out not dead I'm did I didn't die fantastic amazing I'm going back to work tomorrow mm-hmm. I'm excited to have some semblance of structure in my day-to-day life aren't we all excited for them if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, as I'm sure many of you COVID-19 celebrators are. Or celebrators. <laughs> That's the worst way to say it. <laughs> Participants. <laughs> Who isn't a participant at this point? Um, I feel like cats. You can make it a celebration if you want to. Uh, yeah. The other day I went to, to Circle K and mm-hmm. bought an entire K. And the guy behind the counter was like, oh, are you having a celebration? A birthday party? And I'm like, ah, something like it. Yeah. It was just me eating a cake. That was a celebration. <laughs> uh, and as we usually go there together, he also asked why I was alone and if it was a surprise. Oh, that's so like, sweet. Yeah, it's a surprise. You, you know, you got to do something to, to celebrate in these times. Oh, yeah, you were so inspiring when you're really just going to come home and eat it by yourself and only share, like, half a bite with me. To be fair, that wasn't Will's fault. I don't like chocolate, so I only took half a bite. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I tried to be I tried to be inspiring. I tried to paint the beautiful picture of it. Yeah. Uh, when in reality, it was just me coming home. Bullet journaling for 16 hours. Eating straight. cake. Eating cake. Good times. Honestly, Will's been waking up every morning bullet journaling the entire day and then going to sleep. That's pretty much it. So if you follow Will on Instagram, you're going to be getting some awesome bullet journal spreads. I mean, there's some good shit. There's some good... Can I say shit? Yeah, whatever. Thank you. There's some good shit. The world's fake anyways. <laughs> Bernie said fuck. You can say shit. It doesn't matter. Thank you. Um, in, in, in news for uh, making career history, I did get to give like a little fun live presentation that some of you were obviously there for. We had a nice group that came and we talked a little bit about disability and queerness, which our patrons voted for because our patrons get to sort of decide the the a lot of directions in which the project goes in. Like if I'm because a lot of the time I randomly wake up and I'm like, oh, this is a great idea. But there are two options for how I go through that idea. And I'm like, okay, let's give that idea to the patrons and like, we'll see where we go from there. So y'all chose the most depressing presentation, which was hardest to get through. But you know what? It was actually really enjoyable. I got to talk to a lot of people and a lot of people reached out to me afterwards. And it was a lot of fun outside of the tragedy. And inside of the tragedy, it was also like really impactful and nice to talk about all these really important stories in this time. I might be doing another one again soon. You will see. I I probably won't do it in the same way because we only have so many presentations. Um, But I might just like jump on Instagram live and be like, hey, y'all want to talk about fill in the blank? And and some of y'all can jump in if you want to. So you should, you should definitely follow um, us on Instagram. Our Instagram has been banging lately. Uh, <laughs> it's been a bop. But we also have Twitter, uh, Tumblr, Facebook, and Pinterest, which is always banging. Like there's like six people who follow us there. Even though I, I tried to them. rally you. I tried to rally y'all and be like, Follow us on Pinterest. Make Pinterest queer. Y'all were like, no thanks. <laughs> Which, fair. 
I get it. No shade. A little bit of shade. But <laughs> no shade. Um, what else has happened? We actually got like a huge upkick in patrons, which was super exciting. Thank you so much to everyone who started supporting us. Yeah, it was really amazing and like really surprising, especially considering all the hell that is happening in the world right now. All these bad things are happening and all these people are stepping up and coming to support queer creators, which I really appreciate. It was really sweet. And Laura yeah. spent like an entire evening individually sending out personal messages to everyone who joined. And this is a little shout out to all of our patrons. Yeah, I love you all. And yeah, just like a shout out to everyone who's been supporting this project for as long as it has existed and how as long as it'll continue to exist. I'm just like really excited that I get to do this daily and that I'm very, very lucky and privileged in right now that my work is not at risk while a lot of others are. And we can still be putting out these amazing stories of queer people throughout history, even as things are a little difficult for all of us right now. Uh, another thing that's happening, it's actually happening right now as we record this, Dean is releasing the new Patreon video for our Patreon. It's really beautiful. I really love what he came up with. And yeah, you can just check it out on our Patreon. Uh, it will have been released on a couple social medias. But yeah, just check it out on our Patreon if you didn't see it. It's really cute. It has Will's like podcast intro song on it. Amazing. This is uh, your monthly podcast shout out to Dean. Yes. For being the absolute best. Oh yeah, monthly podcast shout out. Dean's amazing. Killed making this video. Dean's just incredible. Hello, Dean. We love you. It's really well done. We I'm really proud you. of it. The video looks great. Check it out. Like I got really emotional at one point because like at one point uh, Dean pulls an audio clip from the podcast and puts it in. And I like, I totally forgot about this moment. And I was just like... <gasps> Uh, okay, we're fine. We're good. And yeah, it was just like really emotional for me. So it's just like a really great video. It's short, it's sweet, and I think it represents our po uh, project really well. So check that out if you want to check it out. Have a good time. Party hard. Reminder that you can find all of our social medias, including how to support us, including our shop, including uh, the places where you can donate to us. All of this is on our website. Another interesting thing, because our uh, shop is hosted on Redbubble, guess what has become available because it's become available on Redbubble. I'm so excited for this. Y'all queers are going to love this. I'm so hyped. Pins. Pins and buttons. Pins and buttons, y'all. You and can add, you can get our merchant pins and buttons. We know y'all have three jean jackets in your fucking closet. <laughs> as covered in pins. Just add one of ours into there. And that's, it's cheap, which I like. That's a true queer dream, though. It having three jean jackets. I don't have a jean jacket. Mm -hmm. I have a satchel where I put all my pins. But like. I have um, a, le like a pleather jacket. Which is pretty sweet or like a vest actually it's a pleather vest i want to get a jean jacket though because like we all need that one jean jacket mm -hmm. that's covered in pins and patches exactly so check out our red bubble yeah go to our website www.makingqueerhistory.com go to support go you'll to find our shop buy yourself some pins treat some yourself and some stickers intense time and i don't know a Take notebook yeah, um, if you want to support us in a different way and become a patron, that's also a great idea. There's a lot of rewards on Patreon right now. We've been able to send out a lot of rewards. And yeah, I'm just like really excited. And we're we're getting really close to the next milestone, which is a group chat, which I'm super, super excited about. And I've been waiting for so long because once I release like the group chat, the little live group chat that we're going to do probably on Discord, I don't know what is cool in the the live group chat community at this point. I have used Discord once and my little brother kept like sighing over how, how useless I was with it. I was like, what do I do? But also when we release our Discord server slash whatever is popular at the time, when, when I was in the live chat community, we used Chatsy. So that I was a good time. Good times. Um, so that's how we met, actually. Yeah, we met on a chat scene. We did. And uh, we actually have our first conversation recorded somewhere for posterity. Because even like we literally talked once on this like live chat. And then we didn't talk again for like a year. Yeah. But like our first conversation was so weird and memorable that both of us were like, we need to record this. We need to like copy paste it and put it somewhere. And we did. So we we're lucky enough to have our first ever conversation Saved and recorded. Saved and recorded. It's out there on the, on the interwebs. I think you'll have a hard time finding it, but it is out there if you're interested. Um, it is far out there. It is far out there. Like, I was exhausted. You were in the middle of class. It was good times. Yeah. But that's how we met. Um, but, like, anyways... <laughs> Um, if once we get to the Discord survey, I will also be releasing the Making Court History playlist, which is a, a group... All the songs that I have gathered throughout Making Queer History, because I like adding, uh, listening to the songs 
of the people I write about. Like if they have written songs, I like to listen to them just to sort of give me their vibe. Uh, a little vibe check there. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not funny. Um, but <laughs> anyways, um, I like to go on there, check their vibe a little bit and just sort of like get that feeling when I'm writing the article. And I, I, I've slowly been adding them to this playlist, which is massive at this point. This is a massive playlist, just full of queer music. So it, like queer historical music by like queer artists from all around the world in all different languages. So if you're interested in that, you should like watch our patrons like go up because it's right now not about uh, what the amount of money we're supported, but how many patrons we have, because I think it's more relevant for a group chat how many patrons we have, because we don't want to start the group chat and then have like four people there, because that would be awkward for me, <laughs> and I'd have to deal with that emotionally, so I'm not ready for that. So we're re- waiting until our next goal point, I think it's 150 patrons, which we're actually really close to right now. I think we're like maybe 12 away. So if you want to be a part of getting this released, you should become a patron of the podcast. So I think that might be all our news for this month. Um, If you are a patron, you'll be hearing this earlier than anyone else. Also, every single date we gave for like, hey, we're going to be speaking or like we're going to have a speaking event that has obviously been canceled because COVID-19 has, uh, but it's actually sort of nice because I was like panicking finishing one of the presentations because I was like oh I I didn't have as much time as I expected um so I'm actually sort of glad that I have a little bit of extra time to like work on them and give them the full attention they deserve so that's all I think we have for news today and we're gonna just jump into the life of Faludi you mean Yorgi Faludi oh yeah whatever Will is from Europe. I'm from Canada. I am not only from Canada, I'm from Alberta, which is Canada, Texas. <laughs> it's true. You it's, know it's true. true. It's, you true. Know it's true. I love Alberta. There are a lot of reasons to love Alberta. We were one of, like, just last election cycle, not anymore, last couple election cycles, we were, like, the most liberal, like, um, government. We were, like, we voted in the most liberal government possible. Like, we are the Texas of Canada, but we're also sometimes really cute. And, like, there's so many amazing queers, queers here. Do you know what they call themselves? They call themselves prairie fairies. Like, iconic of That's them. cute. Prairie fairies. That's adorable. So, like, among the prairie fairies, there's a lot of amazing people in Alberta, but it's also... <laughs> the Texas of Canada. So I'm leaving Will to the pronunciations because I was, you know, when I grew grew up, like I was taught that like, if you learned um, French, because uh, Canada is like a bilingual country, we have two official languages, French and English. And I was told that like, it was implied that if you learned French, you were like a traitor to Canada. Damn. Because like, we're an English speaking country here. Oh my God. (laughs) And Quebec wants to leave. And if they want to leave, they should so go. So does Alberta, though. So does Alberta. There's a new thing where Alberta's wanting to separate. And having grown up around all these angry rednecks talking about how, like, Quebec couldn't even make it on their own. Like, whatever. Screw y'all. I'm just like, I see you. I see you. I see your soul. I know who you are. Shut the fuck up. Anyways. So that's um an explanation of inter-provincial dynamics within Canada. But that is also why I'm really bad at pronouncing like everything. So I'm going to leave Will to pronounce the first name because Will is Norwegian. And in Norway, they learn two languages from like ever. We learn English and also like Hungarian very far away from Norwegian. But it's cool. It's fun. It's good. Mm-hmm. And Will like studied it. It worked really hard. I, I try my best. Yeah. So and Will knows. Wait, wait. Will knows. Three, wait, four entirely. Well, three and a half languages. I know two and two half languages. Thank no, you. no, you know full German now. I'm calling I do full not. German. You, you finished a two German classes. Which... Full German. Done. <laughs> uh, Anyways, so, Jorgi Faludi uh, was born in 1910 on September 22nd in Budapest in, in Hungary. And he was born into a Jewish middle class family who were Jewish by... They didn't practice Jewish uh, beliefs. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say about that. Yeah, but they were Jewish. But they were Jewish. Uh, and his father was a, a scientist. And while, while Faludi wanted... To be a poet, his father said that there were 20,000 poets in Hungary already. They did not need any more. There were too many poets already. <laughs> uh, so Faludi instead studied chemical engineering. He, he studied in Budapest. He also went to Vienna and to Berlin to complete his schooling and um, then become he, a poet. <laughs> and then become a poet. He spent a lot of his classes just like translating 
poetry which is actually what sort of got him his start in poetry and also like mood though like as a as a writer a writer to a writer i see you <laughs> like fucking teen me in in biology class literally i have this memory like very direct memory of teen me in biology class with my notebook open writing a novel like working on writing a novel that i was going to later transcribe into my computer in computers class when i was supposed to be learning graphics that was that is pretty amazing. I think the me and Faludi spirit were like vibing in that moment, and I'm vibing with him right now. Completely fair. He's vibe checking. Yeah, he spent a lot of time translating uh, this French poet called François Villon, uh, who was a I don't really know what kind of poetry he wrote, but but Faludi translated them into more of a raucous type of poetry, apparently making it more. I'm not gonna say revolutionary, but I saw a couple of sources being like making it more dark and possibly also more erotic. Interesting. So he was um he was excited to be there. Sorry, withdrawn. You can delete that. <laughs> I'm not deleting it. You said it. You threw it out into the universe. I'm keeping it in public record. No. Continue on. And so yeah, he he did this and then he uh published that he published his central translation and it was pretty successful. I think it ran in like forty something um newspapers versions publicate like versions. Okay. Yeah, it has yeah. been published like forty something times. Mm-hmm. And then in nineteen thirty eight he published his his own uh collection of poetry called Anna Pompeii Watch, which was specifically poetry against Nazis and against Germanies. I think that's a specific line that was something something like watch out for them Germans. Pretty much. That's not direct quote, but, but that's like, pretty much what they said. Yeah. And and uh, that did not go over well. He got in big trouble for this. And so he fled. I think at this point he was still in Hungary, but because uh, the wife of a judge was a big fan of Haluda's first translation of these French poems. She, she got the judge to tip him off and he ran away. Yeah. To I, France, right? Yeah, to France. He went to Paris, and then he lived in Paris for a while. And then he, when uh, the Nazis, Nazi German, uh, invaded Paris in forty, in nineteen forty, he went to Morocco, mm-hmm. and then he went to the States. I saw one place that the president of the U.S. at the time had given him like a specific poet's visa to enter the States. I'm not sure if that's made up. I okay. What's really interesting about uh, Faludi's life? Is, though he died fairly recently, like, what year was that? He died in, like, 2006. Like, fairly recently. Like, 15 years ago. Everyone disagrees about his life. Like, everyone. Some people are like, this is a straight man, even though he was in a 37-year-long relationship with another man. But whatever, that's none of my business. One specific one. He didn't like labels. He was just, he was too... He was too cerebral for labels. Um, And other people were like, oh, definitely, like, bisexual. Whatever. Like, no doubt. Um, And then other people were like gay not only that but like all these minor details on his life everyone disagrees and on. like all of them are saying different timelines yeah hey i read all these articles did all this research and all of them are giving me different timelines yeah so i don't really know when things happened i remember it being specifically very difficult to work with um when i was writing and i sort of just like tried to ignore timelines in a certain way like while trying to get it in a chronological order i tried not to like use years because i was like i don't and also, like, I did attempt to, like, be, like, get the most reliable source I could find on each one. And I did my best. It's a, it's a hard job because his life is definitely, like, I feel like even though he has published an autobiography mm-hmm. and he's put his story out there so, so much, there's just so much contrast. And, and be- also, like, to be clear, as someone who, who does this for a living, the people putting out autobiographies does nothing to clear up their life. If you put out an autobiography thinking that it'll clear up what historians think about you, 0% chance of that. Because like every time I've ever read about someone having an autobiography, it has always come with the caveat of, we don't know how much of it is true though. And we don't know if they're lying. And everyone thinks they're lying as soon as they put out an autobiography. And like, it's really funny. And everyone who puts out an autobiography, I've never seen someone be like, his incredibly reliable autobiography. They're always like, he put out an autobiography, but I'm not listening to it. <laughs> so I'm, like, also th- I'm also thinking about Josephine Baker's son having to go out and be like, oh no, my mother? Yeah. The bisexual? Yeah. We're talking about my mother, right? That bisexual, bisexual woman? woman? That, that, that person? Her? her? That's, that's who we're talking about? <laughs> and I'm it's just thinking like, about that. Because like, so when you, when you learn about her, you're just like, oh. This is a queer woman. Yeah. Definitely. And he still had to go out and say it. 
And he still had to like specifically to people who are like, well, you know, she didn't like labels. He's like, you mean bisexual, <laughs> bisexual. And also it's really interesting to like sort of view her life and, and anyone's life and specifically Faludi's life as well through the lens of like, the fact is everyone's different to different people. Like maybe there's someone out there who's like way more authentic than I am. But like I explain myself differently to my mother than I would to someone I just met. That's true. Like, if someone, like, walks up to me on the street and's like, what's your sexuality? I'll be like, okay, I'll give them a 100% different answer than if I'm just, like, hanging out with a friend. And they're like, hey, what are you? And I'll be like, queer in every way possible, bruh. That's how I'll answer. And the other one, I'll be like, all right, so this is how this works. And this is how gender works. And this is, like, the spectrum of beauty that exists. And, like, no, the idea that someone can be, like, understood from accounts of their life while interesting, <sighs> there's not... The, the sources that people think are reliable are less reliable than they think they are. And the sources that people view as unreliable are more reliable than people think they are. I find in a lot of situations. Are you telling me that it's complex? Yeah, that's always my answer. Damn. I'm always like, it's complex and it's hard to understand. And that's okay. We just have to embrace that complexity and then I get in trouble. <laughs> because people are like, oh, fuck you. So moving on, uh, he went to the States, mm -hmm. either with or without this special visa. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he joined the movement of free Hungarians. Okay. And he also joined the American army. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he did the things in the States for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, was very politically active. And then in 1946, he got to return to Hungary as the war was over. And then he kept being politically active and he... Got uh, kicked out again. <laughs> but first he was an editor for yeah. um, social, Socialist Democracy? Social, social Democratic. Demo Democratic Daily. Something like that. Mm -hmm. That was the title of the journal that he was an editor for. And he also partook in destroying the statue of a bishop that was anti-Semitic. Mood. Amazing. Iconic. They they tore it down, and only forty years later did Faludi admit that to having been a part of it. And also, also side note: when I was writing this, if I think this is my accurate, this is just like my own memory. So like, let's when you write my biography, be like, this is just from their accounts. We don't know how reliable this is, but just like add that into it, just like for me. Um, but like when I was writing this, I was definitely like it was around the same time that a lot of um, amazing black activists were reacting to monuments in to people who worked or who fought in the civil war on the which side is it that's shitty the bad side the bad side i don't the wrong side i don't know the one who lost the fuckers who lost all the monuments of people who lost the war they were just like hey let's react to these and there's like a whole bunch of different reactions people really talked about like only the most like you know tearing down the statue reactions which are also really badass but like there are also a lot of other reactions i know thomas jefferson this isn't the same thing, but like, because obviously that wasn't the Civil War. But Thomas Jefferson, a whole bunch of people added post-it notes and like talking about the slaves he owned and like why they deserve to be remembered as well. And I just think that's really interesting. And I remember just like knowing that that was going on in the back of my head as I was writing about this like man in Hungary who like ripped down a statue of an anti-Semitic bishop. And I'm like, you really embody the energy, the chaotic energy that I love Faludi and like it's a really actually sort of interesting because I haven't reread my article on him in a really long time because I just like I know he's a favorite like I knew I loved writing about him and I loved researching him and I thought his story is so interesting but just for some reason I never really looked back on the article because it wasn't as popular as my other articles and like because he's not a super super well-known name in like the western world I'm just gonna go ahead and say that like maybe that's controversial but he doesn't seem to be a super popular figure he didn't really get much of a reaction from people. and People didn't really read that article as much. So I had less reason to go back on it and like look at it more. And I just read it again. And I just love this guy. He was so cool. I love that article. I loved writing that article. It's interesting, like the things that I, I forget as I keep going and I keep writing. So I've written so many articles at this point. It's ridiculous. Anyways, we'll continue on with the life story. That was just distraction. So he, he kept being politically active. And then with the rise of Stalinism, um... He was accused of being a CIA agent. And yeah. uh, for some reason, I'm still, I'm not sure if I understand why he made the choices he made. Because he's chaotic. He's, he has a chaotic energy. So they accused him of being an agent for CIA. And they asked him for, for the name of his contacts in the CIA. And he gave them names like William Blake and Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> what a chaotic boy. Like, I love him. And... He was just like, yeah, 
sure, whatever. He just agreed to whatever, like, he just confessed to whatever things they said he had did, Mm -hmm. he had done, Mm -hmm. and then they sent him to a camp, to a prison camp. And that was unfortunate. Uh, In the specific prison camp he went to, it was, like, incredibly strict, and it was not a pleasant situation at all. Uh, The book he wrote about it was My Days in Hell, right? My Happy Days in Hell. My Happy Days in Hell. Um, but in, I think there was like hundreds of people in it, but there were only 21 survivors of the camp after like he left, which yeah, he had a really rough time there. And specifically in Stalinistic Hungary, it was incredibly dangerous for him. And he sort of like mentioned how continually dangerous Hungary was for him and for his family. Again, they were Jewish, so not super popular at the time. And yeah. He he struggled a lot. The the prison camp was incredibly hard. Uh, but even then, he also kept doing the things he enjoyed to do. Sort of mm-hmm. like he kept holding holding lectures, and he taught uh, his his fellow inmates about history and philosophy and literature. Sometimes even in whispers. And he wrote poetry when he could, and when he couldn't write it, he he committed poems to his memory. And um, according to people who know things about poetry. These are like his, this is like his best work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's his best well-known work. I think it's most translated as well. Mm-hmm. And it became very popular outside of Hungary and was actually banned from Hungary immediately because of course it was. It's actually really interesting to sort of view his life as sort of like almost a love affair with Hungary because he loved his country so damn much, but he didn't give it any slack. He mm-hmm. was never like, it's okay that you do this because like you're my country and I love you. He was always like, get better. We need to get better. This country is the country I love. And because it's the country I love, we need to get better. And he kept challenging it. And because he kept challenging it, he kept being cut out of Hungary and like thrown out and thrown into jail and all these different situations. And even while citizens and like individual people were like, we love you. You're amazing. And you'll find that uh, My Happy Days in Hell was not published in Hungary for a very long time. But what happened was people made individual copies of it, like individual, like not bound, not anything, and just like passed it along to each other in like a very like, I'm learning about the history of books right now, like of like physical books and book binding and stuff like that. And like in a very basic way that like existed just as a printing press was coming around and like was going out and stuff. And they just like passed along his copy, this book, And, like, the citizens of Hungary respected and loved this man, but, like, Hungary and their government was not a fan. And, I know, it's really interesting because the article, I find this often so, works so heavily into queer people's lives. And I have found this is a theme throughout not only my experiences in looking at queer history, but in my experiences talking about queer history to people who don't want to hear it. And we're going to talk about that in the wrecking section because I have some things to say about a couple of things that have happened in my life recently. Um, but it's just really interesting, the the love these people, and specifically Faludi, had for their country, which was never meant to be easy love. It wasn't meant to be a mother's love. It wasn't meant to be the love that's unconditional. It was conditional love. I will love you through everything, but I will not let you get away with anything. And that is like the kind of love for my country that I aspire to. He really has that energy. It really does. And he spent he spent three years, I think, in the prison camp, and then he was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stayed in Hungary working in translating until the 1956 revolution, and then he moved to London, uh, where he again worked as an editor of a Hungarian literature journal. He then wrote his autobiography, My Happy Days in Hell, in 1962. And then, then he had some more tragedy struck him as his wife died. Mm-hmm. He moved to Malta, and that's where my boy Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson. Who is also a very contested figure within the life of Faludi. Uh, so Eric Johnson was a Canadian yeah. ballet dancer. My boy. And he read Faludi's Happy Days in Hell. Mm-hmm. And Eric went, wow, this man, this is the man. And just decided that this was the man he was going to spend the rest of his life with, more or less. Yeah. And and he, he learned Hungarian. He went to Hungary, got himself into the country somehow, which was very difficult at the time. And not only that, but got himself out, which was incredibly difficult. I I read he he worked in like a, a radio as like an, an English sports commentator. Yeah. Possibly. Uh, and yeah, so he made his way in and out of Hungary, learned Hungarian, followed or found Faludi mm-hmm. in Malta. And just showed up on the doorstep. And was like, hey, I love you. I read your book. I love you. And Felipe was like, huh, let's talk. 
And then they spent 37 years together. In a relationship. In a relationship, loving each other. And and, and Eric functioned as, as a partner and as an editor and as a translator. And he also wrote his own poems. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, Latin poems, which apparently was a big thing. Uh-huh. And he also, I don't know, he did, he just... They just lived together. Yeah. And they, like, had this apartment in Canada with two birds. Apparently, the birds would sit on uh, Felicity's typewriter as he typed and, like, hop when, like, when the rung was finished. And, oh, sorry. That's just, like, an adorable really little picture cute. to me. It's and, really I, like, cute. someone who was in the apartment at one point, like, mentioned it. And I was like, I'm gonna die. So cute. It's really cute. So, yeah. And they just stayed together for 37 years. Uh, eventually, though, their relationship did end. And, like, it was really, it was really weird, again, researching this how many people were like it was a failed relationship and i'm like was it though it was 37 years of happiness i can't i can't count that as a failure like i'm Mm. sorry i can't like even if they ended their relationship before their death 37 years of happiness is incredible that's a that deserves to be respected in its own way like even if it didn't end up in you know like them dying holding each other on the titanic i don't know it's still a relationship that i don't know anyways that's just a weird thing that i got hyper focused on when i was reading all this discussion of his life but he got married again to at that point he was a 90 and he got married to a 29 year old in which this moment we'll talk about age gaps really quick (sighs) so we're really popular on tumblr we know this we love tumblr some of you are so sweet all the time you send us messages on there you are constantly supporting us and like reading our work and spreading our work in these amazing ways also having been on tumblr for a while I have seen posts with talking about inappropriate relationships with age gaps. And they have mentioned people who are 27 dating people who are like 60. And I'm like, that's not an inappropriate age gap. That's so age is a relevant factor in a relationship. It will always be a relevant factor. But unless one party is below 18, while the other is above 18, it's not inappropriate. You can be uncomfortable with it. 100% you can be like, ooh, there's a power dynamic there that I don't like. I would argue, I think that every single relationship that's ever existed has some form of a power dynamic and we all have to work with it. That one's just a more visible one than most. That's just sort of how it works. We all have power dynamic. You work with it. You just have to work on removing that power dynamic and treating each other as equals. That's it. But let's let's not call him... That's not an inappropriate relationship. She was 29. She was an adult. Let's not treat her like a child. She she made her choice. She made a choice as an adult. So, like, if she was 18, I would have a completely different opinion on this. If she was 19, I'd still be like, ooh, not sure about that. But she was 29. Let's not have the discussion that Tumblr always has. It's really frustrating for me because I just like see it all the time. They're like, yeah, this like 40 year old actor dated a 20 year old. And I'm like, cool. I hope they're happy together. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what you want from me. (laughs) Anyways, sorry. That's my controversial take of this episode. Actually, I'm going to have more controversial takes at the end of this episode. So here's my part controversial take. Please feel free to email us in if you would like to discuss this more. We are open to learning. It's actually interesting because before uh, he married his his final wife, Fanny Kovac, who was 29 when they got married, he actually married another person. Oh, I totally forgot. Okay. Uh, He married another person and then they just lived in separate houses and they like didn't act in their marriage at all. And they were just like married for like a little bit and then Faluda remarried again. So chaotic. Yeah, he just like has this chaotic energy and sometimes he, he did things and I'm, I'm like, why? Hey, you can do that. Yes, you can. <laughs> That's very much the energy he gives off. Yeah. So yeah, he married Fanny Kovac. And it was a little bit of a surprise for everyone because everyone was a little bit... He was 90. Yeah, he was 90. He was 90. People didn't expect him to marry a 29-year-old. And uh, Fanny did take care of him a lot. Yeah, and they moved together to uh, to Budapest and Hungary again. Uh, They were given a flat uh, by the Budapest... Mayor? Yeah. Governor? One of the... Leader of authority. Yes. And he just got a flat. and and Because at this time, Hungary had embraced his work and had moved on from the... Stalinist. Not Leninist. Stalinist regime to something that could embrace his work and could love and appreciate him. And he spent the later years of his life in Hungary. And then he died three weeks before his 96th birthday. And that makes me sad. In 2000. It makes me sad every time someone dies near their birthday. Oh, same. Magnus Hirschfeld dies on his birthday. That's so sad. I think about that every year. Every year when his birthday comes along, I'm like, it's a sad thing. <sighs> so mad. It's, it's, it's always like really emotional. Mm-hmm. But 
Yeah. There's this one thing about Faludid that always strikes me, and that's the quote that was at the beginning of the article. This was a quote that was actually from the invitation for his 95th birthday party, and it says... He lived everywhere, met everybody, and was ousted from everywhere. Which I feel like just sums up the chaotic energy of of Yagi Yeah, it really does. And I just, I don't know. I really admire him in a lot of ways. Like, I'm sure there are, someone can, like, pull out a thing where it's like, he did this awful thing. And I don't deny that. If you're that chaotic, you probably did something shitty, too. But I just, like, really respect a lot of the things he did and, like, how how little he seemed to be concerned with having his country love him back. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm going to be patriotic. I'm going to love this country. and I'm going to constantly push for it to be better. But I don't care if the government likes me. And I think that's a really brave stance to have. Definitely. Yeah. And like, he kept coming back to it. He constantly. kept like returning to it. It was like at the center. Mm-hmm. And then it would go and do something. And then he would come back. Whenever he thought he could come back, he would come back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty interesting thing. Something you don't see often. But yeah, not to say that, you know, Everyone should do that, but I think it's an interesting thing that he did. It really is. But yeah, that's the story of Yorgi Faludi. Fantastic. Will has done a great job. Let's all thank them for trying to pronounce this instead of me. They did a great job. Did their <laughs> uh, best. Call us out if we did it wrong. Oh yeah, I, I'm 90% sure I did it wrong. If we so. did it wrong, please do uh, call us out and send us an email at queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. Before we close out this podcast, we are going to do the last section, which is Wrecking the Queers, where we recommend a piece of queer media and y'all wreck us. And we sort of talk about some of the comments we get. The controversies. The fun controversies. We either say sorry for doing something wrong or we say, we're going to do that again. (laughs) So guess which one we're going to do today. First, we're going to start out with Will's recommendation. So I want to recommend another book. I know, I know. I keep coming back in here and I keep going, hey, do y'all like books? (laughs) Let's hope some of y'all like books. Um, Really quick recommendation before Will starts with with their recommendation. If you don't want to go to bookstores right now, if you don't want to go to libraries right now, get Libby or Overdrive. It's it's a library app. You connect it to your library. You have all access to all of your library's digital resources. It's amazing. I use it constantly. That's how I read so much. Like if you're wondering how do they read so much? And if you're like... Keeping track of me on social media, you know I read a lot. Last year I read 115 books. Maybe someone is out there like scoffing and being like, that's not a lot at all. And you know what? That's fair. But I read pretty regularly. That's why. That's exclusively it. Libby is fantastic. So get that app, especially right now, because one, supporting libraries. Two, we're all stuck inside. So go ahead, Will. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to recommend this book that was actually recommended to me by um, someone working at Chapters? In Kingsway. Yeah. The Edmonton Kingsway Mall Chapters. If you the Indigo. The Indigo. Yeah, I'm sorry. Indigo. Indigo Westmount. Um, the Indigo at Kingsway Mall. Shout out to the person who recommended this book to me. It's called Seven Blades in Black, and it's written by Sam Sykes, who apparently is the is is the son, sorry, son of another very prolific fantasy writer, mm-hmm. which I found out because I did research. Mm-hmm. Which author? I don't remember her name right now. Come on. I'm sorry. I will find it out. Continue on with your recommendation, though. So his mother uh, was Diana Gabaldon, who uh, is known for the Outlander series. Oh, yeah, the Outlander series. I know about that existing. Yeah, so he he apparently grew up with an author, and then he he started writing his own books. And he wrote this this book, Seven Blades in Black, and it was, like, really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're a fan of cool world building, this is your book. Uh, the world was super interesting, uh, and it was like a steampunk western fantasy, but also not with lesbians. With lesbians, uh, that's the, main the characters, selling point. Will I'm sorry, don't bury the lead. I was I was gonna get there. I was gonna build up. The main character is a bisexual woman. Uh, she's really cool. If you're a fan of like storytelling served in flashbacks, you have you have two narratives happening at the same time, and then you see. Wait, one of them's a lesbian, right? Yeah. Okay, the- good. For a second, I was like, did I just call this bisexual woman a lesbian? Okay, there's a, there's a lesbian somewhere. I promise. There's one lesbian. I one lesbian. probably bisexual woman, mm-hmm. and they're both absolutely useless. Like Amazing. they they're both very useful like they do so many things they're complex yeah they're complex but like they do so many things but they cannot for the life of them figure out their relationship which do you know what 
that's always fun to read about. So if you want to read about that. And yeah, there's this entire intricate thing of one thing I actually kept bringing up with my therapist. Uh, <laughs> not to get too personal or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the two characters um, are in, in this relationship, sort of relationship. There's one of them uh, has so much trauma that she has to deal with. And she can't figure out how to function with it or without it. Mm-hmm. And the other person uh, can't figure out how to fix the first person because she desperately wants to fix her. And that's the intricacies of it. Yeah. So if you were looking for that kind of dynamic. I was going to say none of them die at the end of the first book. It doesn't end the way I wanted it to end. But Mm -hmm. there is a second book coming out. So I will get back to you once I read it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Good world building. Excellent writing. It is very long. Uh, It took me pretty long time to get through it but if you're a fast reader how about it seven blades and black sam Sam sykes hit me up if you want to talk about it okay fantastic so now we move into the second uh part of wrecking the queers which is where we get wrecked except in this point i'm gonna wreck some of y'all sorry we're gonna talk a little bit about because i just finished writing an article which completely by coincidence 100 i literally like clicked a name looked it up i was like this person's not american let's start writing about him so Turns out he was Cuban right after I got a little bit more backlash because I was talking about how Fidel Castro is the worst, um, which I stand by. Fidel Castro, piece of trash. And the person in question, I'm not going to say their name, and please don't search them out. We are a group here. We do not attack each other. Just leave them. Even if someone is wrong, that does not mean that we advocate for attacking them in any way, shape, or form. Discussion. That's what it's here for. Oh, unless they're a Nazi. Completely different situation, though. That's not the person. Um... So this person was like, yeah, but like America sucks too. And initially their first reaction to me being like writing an article where it was like, Castro was really shitty to queer people and talking about one specific queer person who Castro was shitty to. They were like, oh, but America sucks too. And I'm like, I'm not American. Thank you though. Let's um, acknowledge the fact that like whether or not any country is perfect is irrelevant. They aren't. Let's just start there. No country's perfect. All of us suck. I'm actually Canadian. And just denying, like, using someone's country and, like, the failures of someone's country to deny discussion of your own country is just a really useless tactic. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't add to discussion. Um, And I also just, like, mentioned some of the crappy things that Fidel did to queer people. If you don't know, uh, Fidel Castro uh, put queer people in prison camps and killed a lot of queer people and made Cuba a really hostile place for queer people. And... The person replied with, here's how Canada sucks. Specifically mentioning a a thing that is relevant to my little um, heart, uh, missing and murdered indigenous women. I mean, like, what about all those indigenous women that are missing? Your country sucks too. Which, 100%, missing the point that I made in my original post. Let's make this clear. No one's country is perfect. That's not the discussion we're having. We're not even going to pretend to talk about that discussion because it's a useless discussion in the first place. It's uninteresting. It's boring. It's wrong. Wrong discussion. We're not entering that field. The discussion we are having is Fidel Castro hurting queer people, which happened. You can't argue that. We, what? We can talk about missing and murdered indigenous women yes. and how the Canadian government doesn't do shit about it. And please do not use missing and murdered indigenous women as a tool for your, like, really crappy arguments as a way to be shitty to queer people. Please don't do that. Specifically, please do not do that ever to anyone ever from Canada, unless they're specifically like, Canada is perfect. Then you can be like, hey, talk about missing and murdered indigenous women. That is a fair discussion to have. But I actually got really upset by this ask. Or like, not this ask. They didn't send an ask. It was a completely different thing. But like, I got really upset by the comments. Um... Will can testify to that. I was walking around the apartment just being like, ah, and I was just like, I'm not going to reply to it publicly. That'll give them like, I don't want to send hate to them. That's just not what I'm here for. But we're talking about it here because I need a little bit of an outlet for it. Because I'm like, if you don't know this, I'm Métis. You won't know what to look at me. You look at me and you're like, that's a white person. And I am a white person. I have all the white privilege. But I am also Métis, which means, if you don't know what that means, it means that basically I'm from a line of people who are Indigenous and European, both indigenous and European. It's a very specific cultural history in Canada. I would encourage you to do research into it. There's amazing Métis activists out there. I'm not going to pretend I'm a Métis activist. I'm mostly viewing and pushing up other activists because I am not the best because there's a lot of interesting dynamics within my own family. But I do have a sister who is visibly indigenous and another sister who 
also is visibly indigenous. And both of them are in danger constantly in much more danger than I'm in. And one of them lives outside of the country. And when they visit Canada, they are in danger. And the fact that this person used the fact that like my sisters, my literal sisters, like not in like a hippy dippy, you know, like everyone's my sibling, my literal sisters, the danger they are constantly in when they're in the country as like a weapon to like get me not to talk about Castor being a shitty person. It infuriates me. Like I'm constantly trying to talk about missing and murdered indigenous women. You've probably heard it sometimes on the podcast because I've been like, let's talk about this. Even when it makes no sense to bring up. I'm constantly trying to have a discussion, but people only want to talk about it when they want to feel morally superior to Canada. They don't want to talk about it when, you know, you have to donate to a site. They don't want to talk about it when you actually have to say the names of the people who are missing. They don't want to talk about it when you have to read books, learn about these people who have been killed and why they're being killed and how the government is allowing it. No, y'all don't want to have that discussion. But the discussion you want to have is Canada is viewed as a moral superior to America or to other countries. And y'all want to knock us down a peg. So you're going to make use these missing and murdered women as your tool to do so. Literally, go fuck yourself. Read a book about missing and murdered indigenous women and donate there, please. I will leave a link to a charity for these things to memorialize the missing and murdered indigenous women. I'll leave a link. Please donate. It's a great, great cause. Please donate to it or learn about it or spread news about it. I would love to have that discussion. But don't fucking come at me and say, don't talk about my country being crappy to queer people because your country is actively committing a genocide. Like, I'm like, I know, I know I'm trying to, what do you, what do you want me to say? That doesn't erase Fidel Castro putting queer people into prison camps as much as you might want it to. But that's the, that's the little, little rant I'm going on today. As you can tell, I have a lot of feelings about it. I get really mad about it. I'm probably gonna have to lower the volume of that specific section. <laughs> but also, let's let's move into uh, another thing that happened. Next rant. Next rant, because we're just gonna go for two rants today, because I also had another thing recently happen, and it was just like so relevant to some of the things that we've talked about on Making Queer History that I couldn't not mention it and sort of like talk about and dissect it a little bit, because I've mentioned this and been like, this is a problem that people have. And it's sort of an abstract thing when I mention it. And because it's abstract, people can kind of remove themselves from it. So it doesn't feel personal. So we're going to make this personal. There was someone we were talking to. Let's call them Arthur. Arthur was brought up Sylvia Plath. Will was like, oh, Laura, was Sylvia Plath a lesbian? And I was like, no, not that I know of. But I do think she was anti-Semitic. If that, like, here's a here's another fact about her, because I, I can't tell you she's a lesbian. She was probably anti-Semitic. And the person was not happy. They're like, well, it's a lot more complex than that. She wasn't anti-Semitic. She, it's a lot more complex than that. It's like, what did they say exactly? Like, I don't want to misrepresent them. I don't think they'll listen to this, but like, I don't want to misrepresent them. I think it was just, I don't remember. Yeah, it was just like, ugh, it's she's not anti-Semitic. It's more complex. She had mental illness. It's more complex than that. And I'm like, okay, but like, she was still anti-Semitic. Like, a Jewish person told me this. Are you Jewish? And I asked, I was like, are you Jewish? Because they kept trying to explain the anti-Semitism to me. And I was like, are you a Jewish person? Because I had a Jewish person explain this to me. And I'm going to trust them above you, a non-Jewish person. And they were like, I am not Jewish. I'm like, oh, okay. So you don't get to define what anti-Semitism is. Cool. The Jewish person, specifically a Jewish scholar who explained this to me, knows what they're doing more than you. And they actually had a really nuanced discussion. The, the person, I, I, as soon as the conversation finished, I was like, this really happened, right? Because... I have this whole brain. It's, it's, it's saying I'm dealing with therapy. But I was like, okay, I need to fact check myself. Where did I learn this? I found the source where I learned it. It was a person who was talking about like how, yeah, she was anti-Semitic. It was a little complex. Like it's it's not black and white, but like she was anti-Semitic and that's a thing we should discuss. I was like, okay, I'm good. We're set. And then the person got really mad at me, sent me a lot of messages and um, was just like, we need to separate the art from the artist because we just need to separate the art from the artist and i'm like oh yeah we can totally separate the art from the artist but i don't ca- care about having a discussion about her art i've never read her art i'm not interested in her art i'm not interested in her art i'm interested in the artist we can totally have separate discussions about you can we can if that's what you believe should happen 100 
I'm a little more gray area about the separation between art and artist. I don't think death of the author is like a super reachable ideal. And I don't know how much it matters to me. But if that's the discussion I want to have, 100%. But I'm not talking about the art. When we separate the art from the artist, I am not going to be talking about the art. I'm going to be talking about the artist. I'm really interested in the artist. That's what we're talking about. And I was like, I specifically was like, let's talk about the artist. That's what I wanted to talk about. And she was anti-Semitic. Yeah. And then the person was like, well, she was mentally ill. She was abused. She was da 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 And those things can all exist at the exact same time as her being anti-Semitic. Those two things. Can, and then eventually it, it devolved to this person like being like, you're too aggressive. You have harmed me in this way for saying that this person that I enjoy is anti-Semitic. If you hold yourself to this ideal of perfection, if you hold your heroes to this ideal of perfection, if you love Sylvia Plath and you cannot acknowledge that she had anti-Semitic, and from what I looked at, and I'm not perfect, I don't understand like everything about her work, I haven't read it. I just looked at a Jewish person's interpretation of it. But from what I've heard, also racist ideas in her work, if you cannot acknowledge that, then you're going to have a harder time acknowledging when you mess up. Because your heroes have messed up so many times. I promise you. Magnus Hirschfeld, one of my heroes, participated in human zoos. That's a huge mess up. That's a horrible thing to do. Morally reprehensible. A completely legitimate reason for someone to be like, I am never going to talk about or like discussing Magnus Hirschfeld makes me sick. 100% reasonable reaction to that. But ignoring that they did that or removing them from discussions is going to put yourself, you know how people talk about the echo chamber? You're going to put yourself in an echo chamber of perfection. So when you mess up, when you make a mistake, when you say something, when you say something messy, or when you say something messy, or you say, like, even if you say something anti-Semitic, if you say something anti-Semitic, you will not be able to process it. And you will either deny that it happened and hurt more people, or, and like, this is just like assuming the worst, maybe you won't, maybe you'll realize. But in a lot of situations, a person will deny that it happened in the first place, or begin hating themselves, which isn't a helpful reaction to the people you hurt. Hating yourself when you make a mistake is not a helpful reaction. When you make a mistake, a helpful reaction is figuring out who you hurt, apologizing to them, and improving in the ways that you can. Making queer history is not morally pure. If you are looking to us as a resource of moral purity, you are going to be disappointed by us. I am going to make mistakes over and over again, and if you look for me to be morally pure, I'm going to disappoint you and I'm going to hurt you. And I'm sorry for that, if that happens, or when that happens more accurately. But I want you to be able to call me out and react to when I mess up, because I've messed up so many times. You don't even know. Like, well, you you know most of them. I've, I've talked about them pretty openly, and I'm going to continue talking about them openly so that when you look at yourself and you're like, because this is what I did before I started making Christy, when you look at yourself and you're like, I'm not good enough to make this art, when I'm not good enough to enter these circles, you can know that someone who is fairly successful made bigger screw-ups than you will ever make. I did not include transgender women when I was talking about women during the Holocaust. I didn't include them at all. I didn't even mention them. I didn't think about it. I have used the wrong picture for a person on my articles and like failed to fix it for a year when I thought I had fixed it. There are grammar mistakes all over my articles. I am currently still fixing a lot of them. There are like factual errors that I have fixed throughout my time. There are things that if I could go back, I would rewrite entirely and have a completely different take on. And I'm going to still keep working. I think there are things that cross the line for people where they can no longer keep working in the sphere that I am working in. I don't think I've ever crossed that line. I don't think I've, in my opinion, ever taken advantage of y'all's trust and faith and use that to hurt someone. I don't think I've ever done that. If I ever do that, I want you to deplatform me so quickly. But pretending like there's this moral purity is only going to hurt you, and it's going to make you blind to when your heroes make mistakes. And it's going to make you harder on yourself than you need to be. You don't need to be that hard on yourself. You're going to make mistakes. When I was a kid, I was super me- I had some super messed up beliefs really messed up. I was biphobic as heck. Oh, big same. Like, y'all, the things I said, I would smack myself. But I also wouldn't because I was a child in a really interesting environment that had a lot of influences that I shouldn't have had. And there was a lot of hurt that shouldn't have happened to me. And I made mistakes and you're going to make mistakes. And we're all going to make mistakes. And there are going to have to be consequences for those mistakes. Like, don't take this as me saying, 
we should allow people to do as much shit as they want and like let them continue as long as they say sorry. There are consequences for every mistake that you make. If someone causes harm to people, there has to be consequences for that. But we need to discuss those consequences instead of just pretending they don't exist anymore because the person's going to continue to exist. And again, that's not saying that deplatforming or removing someone from a certain social sphere is not a relevant consequence. Because it is. It's a really useful consequence for some some situations. But let's not pretend that forgetting about a person or ignoring them is a healthy way either. You shouldn't be idolizing Sylvia Plath and ignoring the fact she made mistakes and she fucked up. And using her mental illness as a justification for her fuck-ups. Because one... I have mental illness. I don't do that shit. Like, I did nothing that she did. And the fact that you use mental illness as a shield is offensive to me. Because that's not what... Mental illness does not excuse bigotry. I'm sorry, it doesn't. We all have to grow up. But we cannot go to the other extreme and be like, Sylvia Plath did all these shitty things. We're never talking about her again. Like, let's let's be adults here. We're not going to pretend that Sylvia Plath's anti-Semitism was... And we talked about this in Maria Debrusca's article as well. Because this was a person who... Her anti-Semitism was complex, but she was still anti-Semitic. Like, that doesn't change anything. She had reasons for the situation she ended up in, but that does not excuse any of the hurt that she caused. All it does is inform us of what can lead to these things so we can grow and learn as a community. So that's like my second rant of the day. Hopefully I'll edit that a little bit. But I just like, I was really frustrated recently because I was just like, let's just acknowledge the mistakes we make because it's going to be so much easier when you make a mistake. If you just acknowledge that other people make mistakes. Because if you put, when you look at your heroes, when you look at your mentors, when you look at these amazing people that you idolize from history, you need to be able to see the reality of them too. And you need to be able to see the reality of them and also like them still. Like not saying that you have to. You can see the reality of someone's life and be like, oh, never mind. But don't remove them from your life entirely. Use the lessons that they gave you and continue to give you because that is a lesson in and of itself. That's what making queer history is about. That's why we're here. We're not like all those other queer history projects. We're not like the other girls. No, but like we're not other like other queer history projects who are giving you the facts as plain as they can. That's not what we're doing. I don't think y'all think that's what we're doing. But in case you need a clarification, we're not a facts only program. We talk about why this is relevant to us now. And one of the biggest things we can teach you is that history is way more messy than you think it is. And when you start putting moral purity on everyone, that's exactly how queer people got removed from the narrative. I need you to remember that. I need you to remember the second where you're like, let's ignore that Oscar Wilde exists because of his anti-Semitism, because of his anti-gay shit, because of his like all these terrible things that he did. I need you to remember for me that that is the exact same pathway people took to erase Sappho from history. You're on the exact same path and you should not be on that path. I'm telling you now, please get off the path and enter a different path, okay? Keep that in your mind as you learn history and as you learn outside of making queer history and within making queer history. And when you see me make mistakes, that's why we have Wrecking the Queers. So y'all can call us out. Because we make mistakes. We make so many mistakes. I think we talked a couple times ago. I didn't include any intersex people in the history of this project. Like, not exclusively on the basis of them being intersex. Because I was intimidated by it. That was a mistake of mine. How did I fix it? I only fixed it because someone was brave enough to come forward and be like, hey, why aren't you doing that? And, like, it took a lot of bravery on their part. It took a lot of intelligence to go through all our articles and check. Because, like... It's a difficult thing to do. And we appreciate it a lot. And I feel a little bad for like doing this right after being like dragging some like call outs. But I also need you to trust me that if your suggestion is not relevant or it's not useful, that I won't do it. Because I, if I'm good at one thing, I'm really good at telling what corrections are useful to this project. So like, call us out. You can do that on Twitter on Tumblr, on Facebook, on Pinterest, on Instagram. <laughs> Call us out on Pinterest. Call us out on Pinterest. <laughs> Message us on Pinterest and be like, hey, what the fuck? Also, I feel like that would be the least intimidating. It would be the least intimidating, but it would also, I'd be the most impressed. I'd be the least intimidated and most impressed. So like, if y'all want that energy, also email us at queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. Uh, we also, again, have the website at www.makingqueerhistory.com. If you want to help us make queer history, do become a patron at patreon.com slash queer history. There's an amazing group there. We're sort of, I don't know, there's just an amazing group of people there. I'm really enjoying hanging out with y'all. And I'm really excited to have a group hangout soon. It's going to be really exciting. And maybe 
I don't know, maybe someday we'll like do book chats or movie nights or something like that. I don't know. There's so many times I find like queer movies or queer books and I'm like, I wish I could share this with all my patrons. So maybe if one that day. comes possible soon. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Thank you so much for everyone who supports us. Mm-hmm. And from the bottom of our queer hearts to yours, we love and appreciate you so much. And through this difficult time, just remember, history is queerer than you think. And wash your fucking hands. <laughs> we have always existed and we are still here stories of those slung dead we won't disappear we're taking the pen back into our own hands we live and we breathe and we keep creating taking a stand history is queerer than you Every step we're taking